Today we're going to get kind of a different start. We'll be reading the passage of Ephesians 2 in a little while, but it'll take us a little time to get there. But it's going to take us so long to get there that I want to pray or else I'm going to feel like half the message is gone before I've even prayed. I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to pray to begin with and then kind of get some introduction and then we'll read the passage and it'll all make, well, it's supposed to make sense at that point and we trust it will. If you keep track of these, it may be a little difficult to uh, take notes today. I'm not quite sure how that'll all look, but if you're keeping track of the title, that will be easy. The title of this morning's message, How a Plain Man Finds Peace. How a Plain Man Finds Peace. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. And in our hearts we marvel and we know full well we don't even understand the majority of what you're doing and how deep your grace runs in our lives. But Father, knowing our inability to understand does not hinder your ability to work. And so in a work that you know that you can do, which is far more than we know that you can do, we ask you would do that. You would go well beyond our ability to comprehend and do a work worthy of the Lord Jesus. For we ask this in his precious holy name. Amen. I think it was late last year when I was reading an old writer and I came across a phrase. And when I come across a phrase that I like, I write it down and I stick it on a post-it note either wherever I'm at. Normally that's in my office, and in my office I have a desk that has a kind of a wood thing in front of it, and so I put it there, and if I like it long enough, I hand it to Carol, and she puts it out on a piece of paper with a background to it, and I put it on my wall over here in the permanent spot. But I've been looking at this post-it note for quite some time now, late last year at least, maybe before that, and the, the statement on the post-it note says that I read, to be filled with Christ alone. To be filled with Christ alone. So every time I sit down on my desk, I see that piece of paper, and I contemplate that, to be filled with Christ alone. With that in mind, when the new year started, I began a personal phrase. Personal phrase. With that phrase in mind, I began a personal study. I got myself a spiral notebook, and I began studying an ongoing study of focusing on the person of Jesus Christ. So while I'm reading my Bible, when I come across a name of Christ or an attribute of Christ or one of our riches in Christ, I write it in this notebook. And then when one of them sparks my interest, I'll start fleshing that out, if you know what I mean. I'll start researching that. I'll start putting thoughts to it, thinking through Christ his attributes, his names, and what we actually have in him. Now, I know that I, I, it's all personal, okay? This is all for me. But I know that down the road, those things that go into that notebook are going to make its way into my personal public ministry. This morning is such a case. 
And interestingly enough, the subject this morning comes from all three categories. It's an attribute of Christ, it's a name given to him, and our, it's one of our riches that is found in him. Of course, our subject this morning is peace. I titled it, How a, Pro a Simple Man Finds Peace. But our subject is peace. Now, peace is a universal subject. Almost everybody in the world is searching for it. But where they're looking and how they're looking, very few people actually truly find peace. My favorite animated movie is, oh, I hear it, yes, Kung Fu Panda. How many have seen Kung Fu Panda? That's my personal favorite. I like, there's lots of, it, it resonates with me on lots of different levels, but it has some classic lines, some classic humor in it. It just makes me roar, roar when, I, when I see parts of it. But in there, the main Kung Fu instructor's name is Master Shifu. He is trying to come to peace. So in one of the scenes, he's sitting in one of their little rooms there, all by himself. It's a real quiet place. And he's sitting there with his legs crossed, saying, inner peace, inner peace, inner peace. He's trying to come, calm himself down and be at peace. In the background, you hear some wings flapping of a bird. Now, what you don't know, at that, he doesn't know at that moment, is that bird is bringing devastating news. He doesn't know that. But the flapping of the wings, he's going, inner peace, inner peace. And then he says, well, whoever is flapping those wings, please stop. Because that little flapping of the wings is destroying his peace. Because there's something interrupting. No, he doesn't even know that what's coming is going to just totally devastate that. The only way he actually comes to peace is at the very end of the movie, all of, his, all of the things from his past, all the trouble of the, few, of the present is all completely dealt with and everything is good and his peace lasts for about that long. They actually show that in the movie, but how often do we end up in life on this planet where everything is perfect? And there's no even flapping of the bird wings to disrupt us. It's not very long. And so most people looking for peace can't find it. But the Bible speaks of a very different kind of peace. Now, A.W. Tozer gave me this thought a long time ago, and I find myself thinking this thought a lot. He contended that if a plain, simple man... We're on a deserted island, and a crate floats up that's got a Bible in it. He opens up the crate and begins to read. What would this man believe that the Bible teaches? After he read it from cover to cover, with the only person who could teach him was the Holy Spirit, what would he believe? The fact of the matter is he would come up with proper doctrine. Most of the bad doctrine that we have in our minds comes, it's had to have been taught to us by some other person. 
And if a plain man would open up the scripture and just read it without anybody pushing his thoughts one way or the other, practically speaking, he would come up with proper doctrine. Now that thought is worth thinking in a lot of different levels, and we don't have time for that this morning. But let's just apply it to our subject at hand. If this plain man picks up a Bible for the first time, reads it from cover to cover, what will he believe about peace? What will, he act, what will his doctrine be? What will his beliefs be concerning peace? What would he believe that the Bible teaches about peace in the Christian life? Well, for one, he would know that it was important. The word peace is used well over 400 times itself, not to mention all of the other words that would lend to, that would mean that same thing and imply it. Now, when you take out all the references to a peace offering and all the references to holding your peace, which is, means keep your mouth shut, and there are a lot of those, there are still quite a few, a healthy number of references to peace. In fact, my problem this morning was not finding a text, but trying to narrow it down from the, to a manageable number of texts. When I started putting it all together, I had over 50 texts that I thought should be read this morning. I didn't think I could do that. The plain man would say, it's important. He would also believe this plain man who just read the Bible, since it's mentioned so often, he'd say this is important. He'd also say it's to be expected. Because he would find that from almost every book in the New Testament, it starts by mentioning peace. Generally something like this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And you say, that sounds familiar. You know why it sounds familiar? Because it says that in Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. That's why it seems familiar. All of those books start with something very similar to those words. So the plain, simple man would say, this is important, and it's to be expected. He would also find that it's provided for. Because he would find the name of God totally linked with peace. He would find over and over that God is called the God of peace, the Lord of peace, the King of peace, and the Prince of peace. But more than that, he would find an overwhelming number of verses promising an unworldly peace to God's children. Let's look at one of the plain, the messages our plain man would find in the scriptures. As he's reading through the Bible and just learning what it says, what would he find about peace? Look at Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
Ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace unto to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both, sorry, through him we both have our access by one Spirit unto the Father. This is what our plain man would read, but not to be too tedious. Let me read you a few more to keep you from having to turn 500 times. Just listen. I'll, I'll, I won't be tedious here. Psalm 4.8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Psalm 29.11, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 37.11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is just a sample of what we could have read. This is what the plain man, who, if a Bible just came into his, his hands and he starts reading it, this is what he would read. And he would say, peace is important. And peace is expected. And peace is provided. He would also know that this peace that the Christian has is far different than the peace that the world is trying to get. For Isaiah 26, 3 would tell him, it is a perfect peace. John 14, 27 would tell him, peace I leave you with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And Philippians 4, 7 would tell him, it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Our plain man would read through the Bible and he would see that the peace of God is found in the God of peace. But what does that mean? Our plain man would find peace in what he finds about God. What would the plain man find about God that relates to this subject? that would give him peace. Well, number one, he would find that God is in control. A plain man reading the Bible would find out that God is in control. 
know, it's very easy to kind of look around and say that, you know, we live in a very chaotic world. And things are happening that we don't want to happen. And things are going directions we don't want them to go. And things take place in our lives. And the phone rings. And all these things happen. And we're like, this is out of control. And what we find, that it is out of our control. I don't know if you noticed this yet. Have you noticed how much of life is totally out of your control? You plan and you plan and you figure that this is how things are going to go, and then the phone rings. And life doesn't go that way anymore. You take one doctor's visit, and life is forever on a path that you had not intended. We, we like to have this control, but it's all an illusion. Because when we boil it right down to it, all of us who have a little age on us knows for sure life takes a lot of unexpected turns, and it's out of our control. But it doesn't mean it's out of God's control. And the plain man who's read the Bible from cover to cover would say, God is in control. Even though things look like they're out of control, God is in his realm making things happen, and he is in control doing what he needs done. He has everything under control. Nothing is out of God's control. Everything is in control. That's one thing you would learn. But he would also discover that God is more than capable. It's one thing to be in control. It's another thing, well, how many of how many of you have ever been put in charge of something? You're in control, but you're over your head. <laughs> you're like, oh, thanks for that. The boss gives you this work. You thanks for that, and I have no idea what I'm doing. You are over your head. You know, God never has that. He is entirely capable of doing what needs to be done. He is in control, and he's capable of taking control. You know, almost all of us here have been in with the Bible so long and been in Sunday school, we grew up in all that, that it loses its marvel. But think of our plain man sitting on a deserted island and in washes a Bible and he picks it up and starts reading from cover to cover. What will he find that God is capable of? You just let the stories go by, but he's reading them for the first time, and he reads that God spoke the world into existence. He then reads that God destroys the entire world with a flood, sparing. Have you ever thought about how difficult it would be to spare just the people you wanted in a flood? Have you ever seen how these things get out of control? Trying to say, oh, I'm going to wipe everybody out, but I'm going to save those eight people. Do you realize how difficult that is? And the plain man would say, wow, he can destroy, but he can save and spare exactly who he wants to in this. We would find this plain man reading through, and he'd come to the story of Joseph. Have you ever read through the story of Joseph? Do you remember the story? And there is all of these events in Joseph's life, and you're like, what is going on here? And then you get to the end, and you're like, wow, God knew what he was doing. He can make these events turn out the way that you never dreamed, had you never known what was happening to Joseph. If you can put yourself back into Sunday school as their teacher's working through these day by day, and you're thinking, wow, Joseph's really getting rinked here. This is not good. 
And then you come to the end, you're like, wow, God was really at work. The plain man reading the Bible for the first time would be marveling at all. Think about what the work in Egypt and the devastation there and how the Lord works through all of that and how to part the Red Sea and providing for the children of, of Israel through the wilderness and the bringing them into Canaan on, on his power. And the plain man would say, you know what? God is in control and he's super capable of doing this. There is no difficulties here. Our plain man would understand that. But that would not actually give the plain man peace. What would give the plain man peace is number three, he would discover that this God, who is in control and so capable, loves him. Someone who's powerful and capable doesn't necessarily, sometimes that's more of a reason for fear. Okay, let me give you an old statement here. You know, I like old statements. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. What does that mean? It means that when someone gets, has absolute power, you better watch out. Because that power is going to roll right down over you as they are selfishly doing what they want to do. It will corrupt them absolutely. If the plain man came to the fact that God is in absolute power, he would not necessarily be at peace. Because having that kind of power that can be wielded against you is scary. But where he comes to peace is as he reads through the book, he finds that this God who is in control and absolutely capable of that, loves him. And in that love is where he finds his peace. Because this power is not being used to run roughshod over him, it is being used to bless him and bring him where he needs to go. And so this plain man would say, I can be at peace because the God of peace is in charge, he's capable, and he loves me. And our plain man would find his, the basis for his peace. What our plain man might find difficult is when he realized that most Christians in the world are not actually living in this peace. And what he might find in himself later down the road, is that he finds himself not living in this peace. This might throw him for a loop. Why would this be? He might find this trouble of not living in the peace that he knows is there. He, he might try find this a difficulty. He might find that he fell into the trap that many Christians fall into. Now, Many of you, I'm looking into the eyes of people who are not only tired, but are still trying to process all of last week. And your mind is like, there are so many pieces in this puzzle, and I am really trying to make this happen. Now, we have a little bit of overlap with this and that, and so um, let me maybe give you a, something that it helps where we, we're here, but it may help you in this overall thing. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose a man has a car. 
He knows the car is supposed to go down the road. So he sees all the other cars going down the road. He knows his car is supposed to go down. It might have in the past gone down the road, but at this moment it's not going down the road. He knows it should go down the road. We got that far? So what does he do? He decides to make it go down the road. So how does he do that? Well, the only way that he knows how, that he has the ability to make it go down the road, is to get out and push. So he begins to do that. Now, ask yourself, does that work? And the, quest, the answer to that is it depends. If the car happens to be on a slightly downhill slope, the man will find, like if it's in the par church parking lot here, the man would find that, hey, I can make the car go. And he would get in the car, and as he made the curve and going down the hill, he would find that he's actually going faster than everybody else on the road. And he would look at others, and others would say, wow, I think maybe I ought to do what that guy's doing. Because it's pretty impressive. Do you understand that? Now, that would continue until he got to the bottom of the hill. At the bottom of the hill, it would flatten out. And he would notice that his car is slowing up. And so he would get out and begin pushing again. And now, making the car move is a real struggle. It just isn't, it's almost not worth it. And then he gets to the other side of the bridge where it starts to climb. And he finds this doesn't work. I cannot make the car go. Now, where is his problem? The problem was not the hill, the flat, or the uphill. The problem was at the beginning when he decided to do it himself. That's where the problem. It looked like it, it may have looked like it was working until he hit the uphill grade. Now, if you're at least as old as these teenagers, you will realize that life is not all downhill. There are some really nice coasting spots in life. But then there's a lot of flat grade, and then you come to an awful lot of hills. And in the downhill grade, you may have been successful in your Christian life when you were doing it yourself. And when it was kind of flat grade, you may have found yourself being, this is a little, okay, it's a lot of work to make my Christian life work. And then you get to the really hard spots and you say, this isn't working at all. And the answer is not to try to wor work harder or push harder or work smarter. The problem took place when the man decided he, what he should have done is said, you know, the car is supposed to run. The car has power in itself. And he should have figured out why isn't the car running. Now, that could have been simply he never turned on the key. It could have been that he was pushing on the brake instead of the gas. 
it could have been that there was some kind of separation, some kind of obstacle. But the, the answer to the problem is not getting out and pushing. If you're going to go down the road like you should, the answer is finding out why the power is not driving the vehicle. And in your life, when you look at yourself and you say, you find a slave, I'm supposed to be driving like this down the road. My life is not measuring up to the person of Jesus Christ. When you find an area of your life that is not the life of Christ, the answer is not get out and push harder. The answer is look to the person of the Lord Jesus to access the power and find out why, what's the separation here? Why isn't this operating? This morning, if you say, my life is not filled with peace. Our plain man already found that it should be. And if you say, my life is not, the answer is not to try to sit there and try to drum up some kind of peace within your mind, to try to work harder at getting everything off your plate and to solve all your problems so that you can have peace. That's not the answer that's pushing. The answer is to look to the God of peace, the King of peace, the Lord of peace, the Prince of peace. And in him you find your peace. Now, I jumped three pages of notes there. How's that? Fingers looking up. You may get out here on time. Our plain man would find that his peace is provided in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, where can our plain man expect to find peace in his life? Where will this operate? Let me give you four quick things here, places where this peace, he can expect to have peace. We can take a lot of time. There's probably more than that. We can take a lot more time than we've got, but we'll cover the bulk of them with these four. Our plain man would find that he has peace with God. As he read through the Bible, our plain man would find the first fact that he's an enemy of God. He would find that he has sinned, which means that he has violated God's holiness, which means that he has linked up with the devil, God's sworn enemy. And so in reading the book, he would find out, I'm an enemy with God. Now, he could try all that he wants to make himself a friend of God. He would find all of it falling grievously short. And he would find that he could not make himself righteous before God. And if you have to depend on your own works to have peace, good luck. You're not going to find it. And he would never find peace with God in his own effort. Because at what point would he, could he say, I've done enough that God would love me? It would never happen. But our plain man would read the passage that we read, amongst hundreds of other passages, that would tell him that Jesus Christ took all of that sin upon him. Jesus Christ died in his place. He was accused and declared guilty of all of your crimes. This plain man would realize that Jesus Christ died in his place. 
And his peace with God is made not by what our plain man has done, but what, but why Jesus Christ has done. And it is Jesus Christ that broke down the partition that brought us back and gave us peace with God. Our plain man would find peace with God not in his own works. Even after he trusts Christ as Savior, his peace with God is not found in his own works. Christians make that mistake a lot. We come to God with our sin before we're saved, and then we expect God to love us because of what we do after that. This is a horrible mistake. Your works will never bring you peace with God. It is the person of Jesus Christ who brings you in fellowship with God. And our plain man would find, I have peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. This would be great peace to him. Our plain man would also find peace with his past sin. Here is one of the great robbers of peace of God's people. Now, I'm not asking for a raise of hand, so please do not raise them. But I, if I asked you this morning, how many of you have something in your past that you are super ashamed of? Do not raise your hand. Because the fact of the matter is, if I ask that question and I ask people to raise their hands, every single, if you were honest, every single person in this crowd would raise both hands. And probably your feet as well. Because all of us are like, oh, don't you have all that in your past? It seemed like a good idea at the time. Or maybe it even didn't seem like a good idea then. <laughs> but you did it, and now what do you do? How can a man have peace with his past when he's got a skeleton, a closet full of skeletons? Well, our plain man would find his peace with God because he would realize that all of those sins were placed on Jesus Christ and all of those sins were punished in full. That there was nothing else owed on any of those sins. Now, the Bible says, what our plain man would read, is that our sin is buried in the deepest sea. Now, let me give you a couple of hints on this. Generally, those sins don't bother us. The sins that bother us are the ones we buried ourselves. You understand what I mean by that? The one like Achan who hid underneath his tent. And I, I don't want anybody to know what I have done. Okay, if you have sins buried in, from your past and you buried them yourself, look, you're going to have to dig those back up, take them to the foot of the cross so that they can be gone. If you've left them buried underneath your tent, they're going to stink all the time. You're going to have to drag those things out, take them to God, and let him bury them in the depths of the sea. Now, once you have done that, let me tell you right now, God never, hear the word, never rubs your face in it ever again. If you are getting your face rubbed in it, it's not God that's done it. If you have taken those to the foot of the cross and let them go and let him deal with them, God will never, ever, ever, ever rub your face in it ever again. Know that when it happens, and it happens to you a lot, I know because I'm like you, 
the devil is constantly trying to rub your face in it. Now, let me give you, here's the words to say. When the devil brings us up, just say something like this. Yeah, but aren't you glad that Jesus Christ paid that in full? You know, the devil doesn't like that kind of talk. He don't like to play the game that way. And he's quick to leave the game when you play it on those terms because he doesn't like the person of the Lord Jesus, and he was defeated in totality at the cross. And so when you will tell him, yeah, you know, I did that, but aren't you glad that the, that the Lord paid all that and there's nothing owed here? This will give you victory over these things. Do not let the devil keep rubbing your face in sin that has been dealt with at the cross. Now, hear me also, and you're going to think I'm a heretic when I say this. God does bring up your past sin. You say, what? Heretic? To deny that would to deny this, the actual truth of the scriptures. Read through it and see how many times God brought up Israel's sin. It's mentioned almost all through the scriptures. Now, let me get you a handle on this, why this happens. This week... At least three times that I could think of, it's probably way more than that, God brought up into my mind some of my really heavy-duty failures of the past. Okay? But there was no guilt attached to it. Do you understand? Why did he bring them up? Because he was helping me understand some situation that I was dealing with. And one situation, he was bringing it up so that I could help someone who was dealing with a similar situation. He brings it up to teach me, to instruct me, but there's no guilt attached to it. I'm not slapping my face like, you dumb idiot. God doesn't do that. But he reminds me, you know, you did that, so why are you being so hard on that person? You don't, you got to think clearly here. And he's instructing me with my own failures but he doesn't attach any guilt to it. Does that make sense to you? So here's the dividing line. If your past is being brought up and you're feeling so rotten about it, that is not God. But if your past comes up and in a situation, he's trying to show you, look, you better think outside your, we get a little tunnel vision sometimes. And it helps us to deal with others and learn and help them learn from the mistakes that we made so that they don't have to make those mistakes. And so God does bring up some of our stuff from the past, but there is never any guilt attached to it. Divide the line, that's the devil who puts the guilt to it if it's been dealt with at the cross. Our plain man would find that he has peace with his past sin because they have been dealt with in the, by the blood of Christ. Our plain man would find peace with his fellow men. Our plain man would find peace with his fellow men. I find that in our life, our, our peace with others is generally lost in two ways. It's lost in our desire to get our fair share, or our peace is lost because we were not treated fairly. There's a difference between that. We didn't get what we thought was coming to us. We didn't get our fair share. Think about when you were kids and your mom had candy. And she says, you guys divided amongst yourselves. Did you know how many pieces you got? And you knew if your brother got one fraction 
of a piece bigger than you. You knew it. Kids can't do fractions until it comes to dividing pizza. Isn't it amazing? A kid couldn't add fractions and subtract, but he can look at a piece of pizza and know exactly how many pieces, depending on the number of people in the room, he knows exactly how many pieces of pizza are his. Practical fractions. And we fight because someone got half a slice or two pieces of pepperoni off of a slice bigger than what we got. And we lose our peace over this. Because we didn't get our fair share. But our plain man reading the scripture would find that he has everything he needs in Christ. And he would find that he doesn't have to break his brother's arm off and wrestle him down in order to get his fair share. He finds his sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have to fight to make sure that he has everything because he already has it in the Lord Jesus. And also he would find that he doesn't have to fight at every single turn. I don't know why human beings like to fight so much. We hate the outcome generally, but we love to fight. We fight over everything. And we have to be right. Let me give you a good day. A good day comes when you decide, I don't have to be right on everything. And I don't have to correct everybody in the world. I have to look myself in the mirror and stand before God for me. You'll find that a very liberating day. Because the plain man would find his peace in the fact that he does not have to strive with everybody and make everybody right, and prove himself right. And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when you get into these kind of fights like this, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't do anything to the other person, but it destroys your peace. That's what's lost in the scuffle. And the plain man says, I'm supposed to have peace, and I can have peace with my fellow men. I don't have to fight to get everything I need to get, and I don't have to fight to prove that I'm right and prove everybody else if they, and knock everybody else if they do me wrong. You don't have to do that. And the plain man reading his Bible would find that he has peace with his fellow men. And the last thing he would find, he would find peace in his present circumstances. The plain man would know after reading his Bible that no matter what he is going through, he can have peace. He would find this in a lot of areas, but think about Stephen. What are they getting ready to do to Stephen? The crowd is getting wild. You can see it in their eyes, and they're starting to pick up rocks, and they look at Stephen's face, and they thought they saw what? Some scared guy who's getting ready to run like a rabbit. They looked at his face like it had been an angel. And as they're caving his head in with rocks, he's saying, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. He has found peace in his current situation. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And in your current situation, and as I look across this room, we have all different kinds of situations that are very difficult. 
But let me tell you, a plain man reading his Bible would find out, I can have peace, even in what I'm going through right now. And the peace is not found in getting out and pushing the car up the hill. The peace is found in looking at the God of peace. That's how a plain man 